0: We're going to be in all four Gospels today (laughs) looking at this. So we're going to open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your hour that has come when you went to the cross for our salvation. And we thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. There's my my notes for today. All right, we're going to be starting in John, verse chapter 18. It's very interesting that for the death of Jesus Christ, in the Gospels, there are eight chapters that deal with his death. Out of all those chapters, eight of them deal with his death. All four Gospels deal with it because it is the whole purpose that Jesus came to this world it's one of the few events that all the gospel writers write about and so we're gonna look at where it all starts John 18 starting at verse 1 when Jesus had spoken these words he went forth with his disciples over the brook of Kidron there was a garden in which he had entered with his disciples and Jesus which and Judas which betrayed him knew the place for Jesus oftentimes resorted there with his disciples Judas, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, comes there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him when he went forth, and said unto him, Whom seek you? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. And Judas, which betrayed him, stood with them. And soon they... Then, as they had said unto him, I am he, they went backwards and fell to the ground. And he said again unto them, Whom seek you? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I have told you, I am. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way, that the same might be that which he spoke of them which you gave me, I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear, and the servant's name was Malchus. Then Jesus said unto Peter, Put away your sword into the sheaf, and the cup the cup which the father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the cup captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Ananias. So we're going to stop there. So the first place it happens is they have the Lord's supper in the upper room for their Passover, which we just celebrated our portion of it. And then they go to Gethsemane. And we didn't read the whole story. Jesus is praying there, and remember the disciples kept falling asleep. How many times do we fall asleep when we're supposed to be awake and watchful for God? And the disciples did not understand what was going on. Jesus was in a hard place. And one of the, one of the gospels tells us that while Jesus was praying, he sweat drops of blood. That's a medical condition saying that he was so overcome that usually that condition leads to death in the person because their their capillaries break and they start literally swelling a drug, a blood because they are so pressured by what was going on. Jesus was being tempted in the garden. Satan was trying to kill him in the garden and not let him get to the cross because Satan did not want him to go to the cross to be be the savior of the world. He was trying desperately to keep him from there and Judas leads these enemies to Jesus in the garden. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. As we look at this, you know, it's so easy for us to think that everything just happened to Jesus. You know, all of these events just happened. But you're going to see throughout these verses that Jesus is in full control. Because what does he tell this, these soldiers? He goes, well, if I'm the one you want, let everybody else go. I'm in control. Just you're, I'm going to go with you let these ones go. The humility of Jesus. First off, he is God came and became a man. That's pretty big deal, just to become humbled enough to become a man as God. Then he's at the Garden of Gethsemane to be arrested, to be hung on a cross in less than nine hours that he's taken away to be put on a cross. And he goes willingly. He has the power to have killed every single one of those guards with just a word. He has a power to call the angels from heaven to deliver him. And I've often pictured the angels in heaven saying, looking at the father and saying, why are you letting these insignificant pieces of dirt (laughs) abuse abuse you like this? And they're just straining at this saying, when are you going to release us to defend you? And watching, not fully understanding what was going on. Jesus submitted himself to these people to arrest him. And it says they bound him. Now I'm gonna picture that they did not bound him very nicely. They probably were very rough with the way they bound him and and drug him off. Even though he is being humble and submitted to them, his first abuse is going to be this binding. And, you know, if if you've ever seen any movies or videos of police arresting somebody when the emotions are running high, you know, sometimes they get a little carried away with those handcuffs. They get carried away with their actions. I believe these soldiers probably were in that boat. This is a man that they felt was public enemy number one. The, the Pharisees and scribes definitely think so. They think he is so much of a, tra- a terror to them that they want him arrested and they want him dead. And so this is going to be pushed down into those arresting him. And Gethsemane is the first part of this attack that's going on. Matthew 26, starting at verse 57. And when they had ta- taken hold of Jesus, they led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off to uh, the high, pra- high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants and to see the end. Now the chief priest and the elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, they found none. At the last came two witnesses, and they said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answer you nothing? What is this which the witnesses speak against you? But but Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said unto him, You said you have said it, nevertheless I say unto you, hereafter you shall see the Son of God sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And the high priest rent his clothes, and he, sp- he has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now we have heard his blasphemy. What think you? And they answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then they did spit in his face and buffet him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, you Christ, who is it that smote you? So he goes before the high priest. He's arrested he's taken to the high priest in the middle of the night. Now, this may not mean anything to you, but the Jews did not hold court in the middle of the night, especially on a capital offense. The capital offense was supposed to be held during the day. They had one night to think about all the witnesses and the testimony, cool off and bring judgment the next day. That's not happening in Jesus' case. They are accusing him of blasphemy. And then, The indignity that Jesus went through with the high priest. They spit on him, and they smote smote him with the palms of their hands and their fist. And we're told in one of the other Gospels, they actually put a a blindfold on him or a cover on him, and then smote him and said, tell us who's hitting you. If you're a prophet, tell us who's hitting you. So we see that he's been arrested and abused during the resting, and now at the first trial, he is being beat up. He is being abused. Why did he go through all of this? Because we deserved the punishment. All the punishment that the people of the world from the beginning of creation till the end of time, all of their sin was put on Jesus. All the suffering that we deserve was put on him. And it's hard for us to imagine this this whole process, but he is being beat without being able to defend himself and being hit and struck so many times, and they're spitting on him, and they're mocking him, you know, saying, well, if you are a prophet, you tell us, who, you tell us who's hitting you. You, you, know, you think you're such a good prophet, and they're taunting him. How many of us get taunted ever you know, for our Christianity? We tell people we're Christian, and they start making fun of us. You know, you think you're so wonderful. You think you're better than the rest of us. You think, whatever it might be that they're trying to uh, taunt us about. You know, and it's really sad that most of the time we are not trying to do those things, but we get accused of it all the time. Why? Because they're under conviction. They know that they're not where they're supposed to be, and we're bringing God into their, their realm, and God is convicting them of their sins, so they have to strike out at us. So when you're being taunted, I want to just tell you, praise, you know, praise God that you're being taunted. I know it's not easy to do, but just start looking. God, thank you. Thank you that this is going on. I am bringing you into the situation, and they're not happy. Now, if you're being a total jerk, then you deserve being taunted. But most people are not being taunted for that case. Uh, but, you know, here we have Jesus being taunted by the soldiers of the high priest, these are the same ones that just got done arresting him and being, being brutal to him. And now they're going to that next extreme. Evil keeps getting worse when things are happening. And so we have this whole process of going on, first arrested, then carried before Cai- Caiaphas, and then we re- re- brought before Pilate. In Matthew 27, verse 11... And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You say. And when he had, like, when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he, he answered nothing. And Pilate said unto him, Hear you not how many things they witness against you? And he answered him neither a word, so, in so much as the governor marveled. So we look at here, and, and Pilate brings him in. And we're going to jump down to verse 24. Then Pilate said that he could prevail nothing, And that neither there was a tumult was made, and he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. And he answered all the people and said, his blood be upon us and our children. Then he released Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Jesus goes before Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor. He's the only one that really has the authority to execute Jesus. The Jews do not have the right to kill somebody in the Roman government situation. And Pilate's answer is, I find no guilt in him. He is an innocent man. And yet, he's going to allow him to be killed. Why? Well, for one thing, Pilate's a politician. He does what keeps peace with the people, and not what's right. And this is one of the problems that we have even in our own country today and most of the world, we have politicians and not statesmen that will do what's right. They are more like Pilate that will do whatever makes everybody happy, even if it's not good for what's going on. And Pilate's going to have an innocent man killed and the first thing it says is that he had him scourged. Now, we really don't understand the brutality of a scourging. But the scourging would take the Roman flagellum with 7 to 11 straps of leather that are weighted with bone and glass and stone. And then they would beat the person with these straps. And the records tell us that the Roman centurions that did this, they enjoyed it. They would take bets amongst themselves on who could get the largest chunk of flesh out of the body that they were beating and, and play a game with it. Let's see, you know, Oop, I got, you know, I got five ounces. I got, you know, I got a pound and a half. they made the body look like mincemeat. This is what Jesus went through in Pilate, the innocent man taking our punishment upon him was beat. And a lot of people will go, well, they did 39 stripes, which is 40 minus one. That was the Jewish rule. He's not being beat by Jewish soldiers. He's being beaten by Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers had one rule for scourging. Don't kill the man being scourged. So they could keep beating him and beating him and beating him as long as he was alive, and they did. They made it so that he was no longer somebody that you could recognize. And many people, if you remember back a while ago when the, the Passion came out uh, uh, and people used to go, we were saying, oh, this is the worst movie. It shows these terrible things happening to Jesus and there's so much blood and I went to it expecting at that time to see what an actual scourging was gonna look like. And while it was bad, it was nothing compared to a real scourge. The real scourge could not been shown on television, could not been shown on a movie because of how gruesome it was. So Jesus is beat within an inch of his life, his back turned into hamburger in the sides where where it would go. Then they decide he's gonna get to carry his cross through the streets of Jerusalem. And all he carried was the, the cross beam of cross. Did people say that's about about 150 pounds? After he's been beat, after he's been scourged, he's then given a beam of the cross to carry to the crucifixion area. And it says in Luke 23, verse 26, and when they led him away, they They laid hold upon Simon the Cyrene coming out of the country with his, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Jesus was so weak from this beating that he could not even bear his own cross. Now we kind of think about this. How many people have this picture of Jesus being a little weak, wimpling, wimpy man? I don't think so. He was a trained carpenter or mason. He was used to moving 100, 200 pound logs and and boulders. He was a strong individual, and he couldn't carry his cross because he was so beat, stumbling up the hill to get to Golgotha. And Golgotha is straight up the hill from where they were at. It was a long walk, and if any of you like to walk, you know what it's like to walk up a steep hill. Uh, It's not a lot of fun. It's not a lot of fun walking up a non-straight steep hill but he has been beat, and they carry and they make him carry his cross up the hill. Now we sing the song "The Old Rugged Cross." Now the cross is not like our nice smooth cross over here. His cross was rugged, full of splinters, and those splinters were done on purpose so that people would be tortured even more. If you've ever gotten a splinter in in even a finger or something, you know how irritating it can be. Imagine on a cross with your back already beaten and shredded and your back is against a rugged, splintered cross. And what they did to Jesus was worse because most people, when they went to the cross, they tied them to a cross so that they would suffer for a long period of time. Most crucifixions lasted for a week to two weeks as they hung on a cross tied to it. The worst of the worst criminals would be nailed to the cross. Jesus is considered one of the worst of the worst as they nail him to a cross to expedite his death so that he would bleed from his hands and from his his feet. And we see this happening and we're going to go to Mark for this last section. We read a large section of this. Mark 15. Let me go back to Mark, starting at verse 25. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him, and the superscription of his accusation was written over, the King of the Jews. And with them they crucified two thieves, the one on the right hand and the other on his left, and th- that the scripture be fulfilled, which said, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him and wagging their heads and saying, O oh, you that destroys the temple and builds it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others himself he cannot save. Yet. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakabak that which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of them stood by, and when they heard this, they said, Behold, he calls Elias and one ran and filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink saying, let alone, let us see whether Elias will come and take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost and the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. So here we see the crucifixion. Starting in the third hour, which is nine o'clock in the morning, they was on the cross. They put him in the cross. They had arrested him that night. Sometime after six o'clock the night before, they had arrested him. He'd gone out to pray in Gethsemane and they brought him into an illegal midnight, you know, late night trial. They took him from there. They took him to, to see Pilate. Pilate actually sends him to Herod and Herod sends him right back. He has, doesn't want anything to do with this. And then he is scourged and handed over and put on the cross at 9 a.m. in the morning. And he's on the cross for three, hours. Now we're told also in Matthew that they gambled for his clothes. Now do you realize that when people were put on the cross, not only were they there suffering but they were stripped completely naked. So there was shame involved on being on the cross. There was not a very good place to be. Now we do not see that in any picture of Jesus anywhere that's ever been drawn They draw them with an innocency in there. They do not draw it the way it would have happened. But he was stripped, beat, and put on this cross. And in front of everybody, totally revealed for everybody to see all that's there. And he takes on our sin. And when he became sin on the cross, on the ninth hour excuse me, on the, on the sixth hour, which would have been noon, everything went dark for three hours. And God does not let people see. Now, can you imagine what this was like? Now, a lot of people try to say this was an eclipse of the sun. Well, one thing we know is it cannot be an eclipse of the sun because it is a full moon, and the moon is not in the right place to be an eclipse. And I have seen several eclipses in my life, and I have never seen a three-hour eclipse in my life. So this is not an eclipse. This is God saying, I am not going to let you see what's going on. I am bringing darkness for three hours. And then Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I've heard lots of messages trying to soften that, that he hadn't been forsaken. But you know what? He had become sin. He had taken the sins of the entire world upon him. And the father looking at his son says, I cannot look at my son. And turned his back on Jesus. And the Holy Spirit turned his back on Jesus. For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus was separated from the Father. And I want to think about that for just a moment. He's been beaten. He's been scourged. He's been nailed to a cross. He's been dealing with the splinters. And what bothers him? The Father turns his back on him. We cannot even understand the horrendous punishment that that was to Jesus to be separated for the one that he has never been separated from. The closest we might be able to understand it would be somebody who's been married for decades who's lost their spouse and the separation there. And that's not even close to what Jesus went through. For those who are younger, try to remember your first love and being, having that break up. And that's still nothing compared to what God went through on the cross. Jesus suffered being separated from the Father. But how many times have you thought the Father suffered from being separated from Jesus? Do you realize the pain of our salvation? Not only did all of this punishment fall on Jesus, but the Father and Holy Spirit were separated from Jesus as well for a period of time. The entire Godhead suffered for our salvation how much did our salvation cost so much more than we ever think about the actual physical punishment of jesus but the spiritual punishment separated from the father and the holy spirit and the father and holy spirit separated because they're going we can't we can't fellowship with the one that we have always been in fellowship with do you realize what power there was in this time. And Jesus did this knowing the cost. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world because he said even before everything was created, the father says we're going to create man. They're going to sin. Jesus, will you die for them? And he said yes. And God created us knowing that we were going to sin. Knowing that he was going to have to die on the cross and still went through with it. That to me is mind boggling. Why would he do that? I don't know. It is hard to understand the cost that he was going to pay to redeem us. And yet he did it. And he's on this cross, it gets dark for three hours. And then by 3 p.m., it says that he gave up the ghost. I want you to understand what this is. Jesus has been in charge all the way along. He tells the people arresting him, let the others go, I'll go with you. He does not defend himself against anybody. He's the lamb brought silent before everybody. He doesn't go through defense and doesn't argue with them. He doesn't call the angels down to help him. He doesn't just unthink the people because he had the power just to get rid of the entire world. Saying, I'm not going to go through this, you're gone. He could have done that, and yet he went to the cross, and then the Father turned his back on him, and for a period of time, he is completely alone, suffering for our sins. And it says, he gave up the ghost. He said, it is finished, it is finished. I have come for this hour and it is finished. The penalty has been paid. Telestai. It is paid in full. It is what they would write in the bottom of the bill. When you paid your last payment in the bill. Paid in full. It is finished. You do not owe any more. And Jesus said the payment for sin is finished. Do you realize that there is only one sin that sends people to hell? That's rejecting Jesus Christ. Only one. If you've accepted Jesus, then you go to heaven. You reject him, you go to hell. Because Jesus paid the debt. We have a hard time understanding that. Because we as human beings think, well there's some good sins and some bad sins, and there's some really terrible, terrible sins. And we try to make this row of sins out there, and God says, one sin's all it takes reject Jesus the unpardonable sin is a real simple one rejecting Jesus Christ we need to really start to understand that because that will change the way we live when we realize that we accept Christ and we are clothed with his righteousness and there is nothing good that i can do to deserve heaven there's nothing good that i can deserve peace on earth and and the peace that passes understanding and life, it makes me change the whole way I think about others, including Christianity, because it's all by grace. I love the fact that everything about my walk with God is by grace. I can't do enough good for God to love me more because he loves me enough to die for me. I can't do anything that's going to make him not love me. Because he loved me even before I was a sinner, before I was saved. And he went to the cross to die, and he gave up his life. And his whole purpose was this hour to hang on the cross. Before the creation of the world, he planned the day that he was going to hang on the cross. When he was born, he knew that his life 34 years later was to hang on the cross for our salvation. Oh. I don't know that I would have liked to know that I was going to die on a Passover celebration 34 years after I was born and know the date of my death and know what was going to happen. And yet he did and he went there willingly and did not fight it, did not argue about it. He says, I am going to go to redeem this world, these people, for all those that will choose. And worse yet, he knew that there would be millions, if not billions of people who would not choose him. And still he went to the cross for the handful of people that were going to choose him. For this hour he came to this world. And all before this, last week we were talking about, he kept telling people, the hour is not come. My time has not come. And here, he says, my hour is here. I'm going to the cross to die for the sins of the world, our sins, the world's sins. And this shouldn't be something that will really humble us. Jesus went through so much pain for us, for us and for the rest of the world so that they could be saved and go to eternal life with him. And I can just picture when God looks at people that have rejected him at the great white throne judgment, he's going to look down at them and say, I gave you so much and you have rejected it. And there are going to be people there that are good people. We're going to good people by our standards that are going to go to hell because they rejected Christ it's going to be a sad time because people are going to be standing before the Father and saying I was doing all these good things I went I fed the poor I helped everybody I did all these good things and they're gonna look down at all their righteousness and say filthy rags I don't meet the standard of Christ the only reason we get there is by God's grace he puts on the righteousness of Christ on us and when God looks at us he sees Jesus he sees perfection Now, the hard thing is many people, well, if it's that easy, then I'll just go out and sin a lot because it doesn't matter. Well, if you can think that way, you've got a problem with God in the first place. If you can think the way, I'll just go out and sin a lot just because because I've got a free gift, a free ticket to heaven, you've got a problem, you might not have a free ticket to heaven, if you can think that way. When I sin, I get convicted of my sin. Doesn't mean I always repent right off the bat, but I get convicted when I sin. I don't get a chance to say, well, I'm just going to go out and sin for the fun of it. If you're his child, you will be convicted. If you can sin without conviction, then you've got a problem between you and God, and you need to look at God and say, do I really know you? And this is the important thing for it. He died. He paid a price that we cannot even begin to understand. The high price of our salvation. Salvation is not cheap. Our gift to heaven is not cheap. It is to us. We're not having to pay it. We just surrender to God and say, God, I accept your gift. I am going to surrender to you. People all the time going, how do I get victory in, in, in God? I tell them the same thing, surrender. And inevitably they go, well, how do you surrender? You're not going to like the answer. You just do it. You just surrender. And my example is if the police were outside and saying, coming out with your hands up, We're in this building, we have a choice. We can walk out of that building and surrender with our hands up, or we can say, we're not coming out. And then they'll make us come out. (laughs) Either by waiting us out or firing tear gas, but they'll make us come out. And we have that choice. We can surrender and do it voluntarily, or we can be forced. How do we get victory in God? We choose to surrender. And in my lifetime, I've come through, and there's been times that I fought God tooth and nail before I surrendered and got done and, and finally surrendered and go, why didn't I do this in the first place? Why didn't I surrender? It would have been so much simpler. Just learn to surrender to God. Our pride doesn't like to surrender. Our pride does not like to give up. This is the hardest thing when you're sharing the gospel with some people well, that is too easy. I don't have anything to do in that. Exactly. You don't have anything to do with it except to surrender to God. And they go, well, that's too easy. And I go, yes, it's so easy. You probably won't do it because your pride will get in the way. And for us as Christians, our pride gets in the way so often when God is saying, surrender this area to me. And all it is is a give up and give to God. And then watch the victory that comes by giving up to him. Letting him be Lord and Master. Now, I know we Americans have a real big problem with the idea of a Lord and Master. Because we have this idea that we don't like our government, we'll just vote a new government in. You don't vote for God. God won't lose any elections in there because he is God. He's not running for God. He's not looking for our approval that he's God. He doesn't care whether we want to believe it or not. He is still God. He is still the one that makes the rules and we need to learn to submit to him and be able to say, I am going to follow my God. I am going to surrender to my God because he is God. He has the right to tell me what to do. He has the right to tell you what to do. And he says that he even controls the governments that don't have anything to do with him by choice. And he says, I'm in control of them. It says, I turn the hearts of kings wherever I want them to go. Now, some of us are looking and saying, well, God, would you please turn our government's heart the right way? But you know, unfortunately, this country deserves whatever God brings to it because of the sin that, that's going on. And we need to pray for our country. We need to pray for revival. We need to pray that we will see a great revival coming in because we deserve whatever comes our way. Because people are rejecting Christ. And we're going to end here. And my hope for us is that we think about the cost of our salvation. That we think about how much pain and suffering Jesus went through so that we could be saved. How much pain and suffering he went through so that the world has the opportunity to be saved. And that should motivate us to be able to go to others and be able to witness to them. Because if they reject Christ, they will spend eternity in hell, separated from God. Eternity. That's a long time that they're going to suffer because they rejected Jesus. And we need to really understand that great penalty and be able to share with people. And God is out there saying, I paid the price and you rejected it. So, my uh, hope for us is number one, that we understand what Christ did for us. And number two, that we turn our lives completely over to Him. And then we, do, then we go out and we share with others. Lord, we ask you to bless this time and this week that we go through. Lord, always reveal to us the cost of our salvation and, and motivate us to go share that with others. Lord just passing out tracts, passing out whatever it takes, inviting people to church, whatever it takes, whatever we have the courage from you to do to share with others. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says The penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this?